Deep Americana, and uh, this edition, I'm going to interview Tom Huck, and he is a world-renowned printmaker and a pioneer of how to make money with art, in my view. Um, so on. On this episode, my uh, my phone, which I do interviews from, um, is leaking radiation. And there's a lot of popping and crackling. And with with that, without further ado, I give you Tom Huck. How's it going? Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Is this Tom? Yeah, yeah, it's me. Okay, cool. This is Ray. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, actually, I, I hung out with you for a little bit, like, in, in the early uh, 08, I think, I believe. But, yeah, uh, I was going to interview yeah. you about your art and and, uh, and and things of that cool. nature. What's going on? Cool. Are you going to record this? Yeah, I am. And then I'm gonna, and then we'll edit it. It's not live, so okay, cool. It'll go out. Yeah, I just I just actually interviewed uh, Vermin Supreme, which was pretty interesting, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good Very stuff, cool. man. So yeah. Okay, so and it just kind of like a conversation, really. Um, so let's see here. Oh, you go right ahead and you shoot. Okay, man. Right on, right on. So, how, how much inspiration are you deriving from today? What's going on? Well, the problem is, man, I'm, it's, a, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, most of the time when you're inspired by contemporary events, there's some time to sort of dwell on things and let things ruminate. It is every fucking day yeah. with this. And it, it has been, I've been doing some work about it lately. Right. But one of them, I, I did some, I did some stuff like, like I, I did the 19, which was a COVID inspired print. And I did that. And I did just, recently did something for a Halloween issue of a magazine and a cover for it. And, and that, so one was commissioned and the other was my, of my own doing. The thing is in my work, the, the patheticness of our society has always been the subject matter for 25 years. Right. So in essence, while it may not have been about COVID, I've been making art about the idiots that won't wear masks right yeah for 25 years and i used to joke when i would go and i would do um visiting artist lectures at museums or universities or wherever right now i'm talking about work i used to give one of my taglines used to be i would have really kicked ass during the plague years (laughs) well now that we're seeing it, I take it back. I'd rather not. This sucks. Yeah, it's, the it's, plague 
Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's been like eight or nine months of just complete insanity. Well, you know, it's changed everything. I mean, me, just on my, my day-to-day, I mean, I, I gave up my city studio over this shit, man. I, I no longer have a studio in downtown St. Louis. So you, you had I to, remember. hold on, you had to close your studio? I didn't close it, I moved it. Okay, okay. I just had enough. Um, I mean, honestly, I was thinking about giving up my city studio mm-hmm. for a year or so before because I just really don't need that stuff, that anymore. I wanted to be more of a, I have a private shop. Right. And I just... With the landlord issues, not I had a great landlord, but I mean, in general, more economic issues and how it was going to affect the street and all that, and just the uncertainty of when we were going to be able to actually pay rent there again, mm-hmm. I decided to say, fuck it, man, and just, I had a big barn at the end of my yard right. that, on a family property that we own, and it, it, it was sitting empty for 40, 30 years or whatever, and I just decided to convert it to the to the to my evil prince, my shop, and now I don't have to drive an hour every day, which right. I didn't like to. Well, are you, still, are you still doing the same things uh, in, in the barn, like having classes and things of that nature? Or? Well, it's the wrong time to ask that, man. <laughs> you know, we couldn't do... We had to cancel boot camp right, because right. obviously there's no way to do it. Right. You know, I had to cancel advanced woodcut boot camp. Uh, we we haven't been able to do anything. And what we will do next year is we will I will do two or three public things and that's it. I'll do woodcut boot camp, advanced woodcut boot camp, and something called print masters, which is where I have a visiting artist in and hmm. my press assistants work with them to pull an edition. That's the only public stuff that I'm going to do. Any teaching or anything like that that I will do will, will be, outside of that, will be visiting artist things that I usually right. do when I travel to a school or whatever. But, you know, it, it, it's fine. I mean, it's been an adjustment because, I mean, I, when you work, I worked in the city for 25 years every day and had a city studio but it came time you know to to reconsider you know i i kind of don't want to have to do the public part of this anymore and i really don't need to well I mean, yeah like the people walking in off the street buying the twenty five thousand dollar print right know? right so, yeah I imagine that doesn't happen everything often was all, yeah everything was always done by appointment anyway right well, you know, it was it was nice. I remember visiting your studio in St. Louis, and it was uh, it was amazing, you know. But I, I can well, understand not wanting, I can especially in today's day and age, not wanting to have you know random people come in there because you don't want to die or kill someone else, you know. Completely well, the different. other thing too is, man, it got to be a bit of a distraction. Oh, I bet. I'd be in the middle of working, and then somebody is driving through St. Louis and then they pop in and then I take a two-hour lunch and then I end up in the bar and then... (laughs) Right, right, right. I lost a day of work, you know. I I like (laughs) random pop-ins, but it's been more and more over the last few years. So, So that... I mean, I miss that and I don't miss it. 
Right, you know, right. So. Well, I know, I know. Like when you're when you're trying to be in a you know your creative space or, or what have you, having those distractions can just fuck everything you're doing up, even if it is something well, to go totally have fun. Does. It totally does, and also too, you know, I. It's funny. I used to really enjoy the social part right. of it, and printmaking is social anyway. Because typically, you go to where there's a press, well, right? And, and you you have people helping you pull these big prints. And I have press assistants, and I still do. Uh, but you know, I used to enjoy that a lot. As I got older. I, for some reason, I I just don't want to see that many people. Well, you, and you've done it for 25 years, which I think I is is awesome. Yeah. You know, like you've been I helping people and teaching people and printmaking is 100% trading prints, too, and just working with each other. Yeah, which yeah, is, I did it for 25 years, man. <laughs> and I put my time in, and I taught. I taught at, the univer- at a university level for 15 years wow. of those 25. So I, you know, that's put my time in. I mean, I don't teach anymore. I left teaching over 10 years ago, which has been, that's been fantastic. I bet, I bet. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy life doing this. I mean, Evil Prince, my shop, always existed independently of the school. You know, I always had it. So it had to survive out of money that it generated. It's not like I used my teaching what little salary I made right. uh, to keep evil prints open. No, because, you know, I do big prints. It's very complicated. But it is very difficult making a living as a professional printmaker. I mean, I've, I've been doing that for 25 years, and it is, it is not an easy life. It's a, a very wonderful you yeah. know, rewarding at times, but very little reward most of the time. Well, did, didn't but, you, didn't you, you got out of your master's program and you went like, you made prints in your parents' basement with a rolling pin and then went to a gallery? That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I, not, the rolling, oh, not the rolling pin. That's a new one. Okay, I okay. Was, I was in my parents' basement. I didn't have a press. And, and I did, I spent three years doing a one body of work. And wow. before I showed it to anybody, and right. then once I finished the body of work, I drove them straight to museums and made appointments, or some most of the time didn't make appointments, cold call print curators. Hmm. And I sold directly to museums when I was like 26 years old, 25, is, 26 years old. That's phenomenal, man. Do you ever think, well, what I if that... I didn't have a choice. Right, well, do you ever think, what if that didn't work out? <laughs> you know? You know, I, what, what was I going to do? Yeah, right. I, I mean, I can't, I, I wasn't going to be an accountant, <laughs> you know? Right. And I, I knew in my mind somewhere in there that I didn't want to be a full-time teacher. Right. I wanted to make art, man. And I wanted to live on, I wanted to make prints. And I wanted to make print history, man. That was the, That's the thing. I still have this thing to this day, I wake up every single day, man, and I go into the studio, and I got to make prints that were as good as my heroes. Right. That's what I'm here to do. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you if you play guitar, you want to play like Jimi Hendrix played, you know? Oh, yeah. So, same thing goes for artists. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a product 
of a long family tree of great printmakers that engaged in social commentary and criticism, and I want to be part of that club. And back to, I think, your first question, drawing inspiration from this time period, man, Hogarth (laughs) would have died over this. He would have just been, he would, everybody that are my heroes would have been just watching Trump come out on that balcony. (laughs) would have, their mouths would have been picked up off the floor. Right. I mean, any of them. Well, you know, I, yeah, I, ma- I imagine anything Shane, that's... Hogarth, yeah. any of them. They would have been shocked over that, so... And and they should be. That's, you know, it's... Uh, it's it, yeah. Waking up every morning and what's been going on is terrifying. I remember the first three months of COVID, I, I sat here... I make a little art too and, and things of that nature, but I, you know, I didn't have a day job or anything. And I, and I watched these briefings, and my mind just kind of melted. And I was like, yeah. "What is, what, what is, what's going on here?" You know what I mean? And just you know what? Fuck. I, I got depre- it's depressing. Yeah, it really is. And most people that know me would would argue with what I was about to say, but I'm a pretty upbeat person, I think. Mm. <laughs> and and. This really, I find it hard to fathom that people that voted or didn't, because I don't believe he won anyway to begin with. But no, he didn't. Electoral I votes. It's hard to imagine yeah. that people did not see some sort of disaster coming with this fucking guy. Well, do you do you think yeah. it's that that he paid these these people off so that they didn't say anything? Like, if you remember at the beginning of COVID, you had like senators trading stock. Um, I tell you what, or, man, or dropping all the shit, right? I think it's become a cult. I think okay. It's a cult. It, it's a it's a real and these. It seems like it with the, the QAnon shit. The QAnon stuff. The the all of it, man. Yeah, yeah. Proud boys, all the shit. Yeah, all of that stuff, man. The first of all, you know what? What helped me to sort of deal with it a little bit. I'm a pretty political person. Okay. I followed politics since I was 12, 13 years old. I, I mean, if I didn't do art, I probably would have been political scientist. Okay. I followed it. Very closely. I'm a news junkie. And what helped me kind of deal with it is the realization that Trump is not a Republican. Right, right. The people are not Republicans. The people that follow Trump are not Republicans. Yeah. Okay. They are Trumpists. Right. It, they, it, it is yeah. not nowhere they are not republicans so you can't apply traditional political rules to these people because one of the things that i've noticed and man i've got members of my family that are trumpers yeah i do too and they root for this like it's a sports team. Well, no, that's that's what. So this is what I what I've seen with this stuff is it's like it seems like this is turned into rooting for sports teams, and we forget that it's not, and that it's like this comedy and, show. And they look at it 
at politics as entertainment. Right. It is not entertainment. Right. I mean, as much as I get some entertainment value out of, you know, the the Lewinsky scandal. Right. Okay. But that was five minutes. It's not entertainment. (laughs) Right. And that's where this has gone wrong. Okay. There needs to be a reset here. And Joe Biden, number one, isn't going to fix it. Right. Overnight. There's no, this is now a generational thing. So much damage has been done. It's just unbelievable. But anyway, yes. So that, this is all about your first question. Go for it. Yeah. God damn it, yes. <laughs> right. There is some, well, some inspiration in this stuff. Right. Yes, there's a little bit of it, yeah. Well, you know, the silver lining to right now, man, is, is when we look out here and we see all this police brutality on African Americans and, and things of that nature, when we see people protesting, uh, this is something that Willie Cole had brought up to me. It's multicultural, which is kind of the silver lining there. Um, and, and people well, realizing shit, you know? The numbers do not work in the old white guy's favor. Right, okay. It just doesn't. The numbers on a base level of what is happening. Mm-hmm. Old racist white dudes right. are increasingly outnumbered, and that is a wonderful Non-arguable yeah. fucking fact. No, that's and amazing. That's why they're acting the way they're acting. Well, yeah, I know that. So check this out. What I what I think what I feel like twenty twenty has become is like you know when you're you're walking through the woods and you encounter a feral dying animal, that motherfucker yeah. tries to reach out and grab you so you will die with it, right? And I feel like yeah. all the isms, racism, sexism, all that shit right now is kind of doing that, but people are we're. Slowly pushing past different things, I, I think. I hope. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think, like, my daughter. My daughter's 12 years old, man. Mm-hmm. She is a radicalized leftist. That's good. <laughs> and she is up on every social quandary that we find ourselves in to the minute. And it, and she's an artist too, and she's good. Awesome. And I'm impressed with it. The one thing, on the one hand, she is on her phone all the time. (laughs) Right. I find that a bit scary, but also it can be a good thing how informed she is too. You know, about right. everything. Well, I think it, it goes but, to talking about how the phone doesn't just have to be this time-consuming thing. You can use it as a tool and be informed, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is a tool. I, I mean, I personally absolutely absolutely loathe social media. Right. I have to do it right. for my business. And I got out of posting about two years ago political stuff. I got out of it. If you notice on my social media, it's almost all work. Right. All my art stuff. That's what I use it for. And if, if I've had people ask me about it, why, you know, well, 
guess what? I say it in my work. Look at my work. Everything you need to know about how I feel about what it is, look at the work. You know, I, I think I think that's actually a pretty good thing, especially with your work, because it, it says a lot. Um, especially well, tomorrow, about there's going to be this thing come out tomorrow. Okay. Like I, I did a I did a cover of uh, for the Phoenix New Times of uh, of uh, a haunted house, but it's Trump's head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's called the haunted head. Okay. And yeah, that's going to be out tomorrow. The issue is. Phoenix New Times is out tomorrow. They hired me to do a cover for them. And so I'm going to put that out on social media. I'm not going to say much about it, you right. know, other than, hey, we're going to do a poster of this. You can buy it at evilbrooks.com. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's as much as I'll say about it, you right. know. But it, it is, uh, I, I voice my shit through my work. That's what I'm here for. I don't, the problem with Facebook and all this stuff is this is part of why, you have the situation we're in now is that everybody has a platform. Well, yeah, everybody's you a know? celebrity now. It's like we're all manifesting everybody our own our own reality, and we don't realize we're fucking doing it, and so we're bumping into each other on all sorts of shit. Well, it, back when you, how old are you, man? I'm 40. So I was okay. around when there was so no I'm cell phones. Right on. When you were a kid, this shit didn't exist. <laughs> no, it, no it, but so like. If you got a new record by, I don't know, Greta Van Fleet, uh-huh. okay, if you hated it and you hated them, you told your friends about how much you hated it. Right. And you hated it. You didn't go online and tell a billion people you hated it, which gives every jack off with an opinion a feeling of empowerment. Right. Well, I, I think people are caught up in the status, and it, I think it goes back to not enough people have got hit in the mouth for some of the shit they have said in a lot of ways, you know. Um, right, and I think cancel culture is bullshit, too. It is. I think it, people are getting raped through the coals just because somebody said something with no proof, no court litigation. Hey, we live in America, man. Right. You know, you got to prove this shit. Right. I don't care what it is. It's, it, I just it's think sad. it's unhealthy. It, it is unhealthy. You know? it look at it, and like with cancel culture, I, I look at it from a perspective of that they're, like, so imagine you live, you have a neighbor, and they're crazy, and they might kill you. But instead of, like, paying attention to how close they're getting to you, you ignore them. So that enables them to slit your throat. So it, it's it, instead of shutting each other off, we need to be. We really need to be looking at a lot more equality and and teaching. Like isms are pre, are prevalent. Huh? Have you seen that Philip Gustin thing that just happened? Gustin, the artist, he did paintings in the '60s of hooded people, Klansmen. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a four-year retro- traveling retrospective of his that has that work in there that was supposed to be going around to, like, four huge museums. They can't, they, they indefinitely postponed it. Wow. Because they thought that the fact that he portrayed Klansmen 
in the paintings would offend people or scare people. Right. Or it would be interpreted wrong. Right, right. Or they get sued. Hey, man, it's art. Right. It's fucking art. And Rob Zombie, of all people, I heard him an interview with him. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he said it best. He, because he gets shit along with Quentin Tarantino for having so much violence in the, right. in the, in the work and in the, in the film and everything. And, and so they asked him how he dealt with that. And he goes, look, man, real life rules do not apply to art. I think that's, I, I think that that is a good, a good takeaway because if real, like, you, art is supposed to express what's going on, negative or positive, and anyone should be able to do it, right? And if you're a museum, whatever happens about putting the work up on the wall and this little thing called a sign mm-hmm. that you educate the viewer about what the fuck they're seeing. Right. How about that? <laughs> well, I... You know, I, I think we could go further and, and maybe clear up, like, really start educating our whole culture, you know? Well, because that, that's part of the problem. In this country, hmm. the problems in this country, and I've said this before, will not begin to be solved until a hum, an, an arts and humanities curriculum is put into kindergarten and taught every year all the way up yep. through high school, senior year. That would be because good. Because you educate people in art and literature and whatever, the humanities in general, it makes people think about something a little bit beyond themselves. Well, right. It makes them not. It makes them think about community. I mean, how to do things with each other as well. It's. It. I, I believe what what you're saying there is super important. And I think haven't we yanked art out of a lot of public schools? Well, they do that because they people are thick headed, and this culture is money driven. Right. Right. No, it's a hundred percent. We immediate reward. We we are so in love with the idea of success. We'll cut the person trying to attain the same success for the same position will cut their legs off to get it and that's the wrong fucking idea we need to be helping each other if you can't see an immediate reward from something in this country it is frowned upon right as if it's not worth doing it's almost like that's engineered youth driven country youth culture right treat older people in this country like shit right the thing is Every commercial you see on TV, a, a, a person over the age of 50 is the butt of a joke. Right. Yeah, there's no, like, the the idea of taking care of your parents is a foreign one in this country. You know, the thing, and it's sad. you know, it's like, there's, a, there's this commercial I keep seeing over and over. I hear it on the radio, I hear it, I see it on TV. It's like, well, it's a, I think it's a, a um, progressive insurance commercial, like, we can't help you from turning into your parent. <laughs> you know, it's like, that is okay, there's some great things about my parents, man. Right, right, right. Well, we don't, we don't. Old people are the butt of jokes. Well, if you notice now, like, if, if you talk to a young person, I'm 40, so I'm not as old as you, but if I talk to someone that's 20, right, um, and I'm like, hey, 
you know, you give someone advice. I've noticed now people like look at you resentfully that are a lot younger in a lot of ways. And it's kind of like these well, narratives have been yeah. pushed to the point that we well, don't value. So too huh. is when you've got these old bastards that are in power. Right. And California's on fucking fire. <laughs> right. And they want to pretend like it's nothing. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Climate change. I get some of the resentment of the millennials. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that too. It's uh, because it's, they're looking at us like we're a bunch of fucking nuts. Well, I think, I think we are ran by a bunch of fucking nuts, and there's. That's true. It's, tr- it's trickle down bad rap. Well, you you you, you got to think. Trump is like the epitome of what's wrong with our culture right now. What I don't get is there's motherfuckers that have no money that are so into Trump, and it's like, dude, he's giving the rich a tax break. Not you. Perfect shitstorm. Yeah. You know. Do you? Okay. So check check this out. Did you realize that uh, that Trump is in the WWE fucking Hall of Fame, right? So I often wonder if Vince McMahon is not writing his shit. Like that debate looked like a pro promo from a pro wrestling thing, right? It did. It did. And I'm not glorifying it at all. This goes back to what we were just talking about. This isn't a fucking TV show. This is going to affect your everyday life for at least four yeah, years. You know, entertainment. Right, right. And it's and if you it look if you look at Russia and like Putin, how he deals with his media is not a whole lot different than what we've been doing. You know, there's not a straight right. answer if that makes sense. Right. So it's right. it's it's uh that's insane. So. I, I gotta tell you, you What's know, it, it, if you if you choose to make a life of li- of of making art, it a situation like this culturally, it's all it, it, the odds are already stacked against you if you choose to have may have a life in art, mm-hmm. okay, in the arts. When you come up to face to face with a situation like what we're facing, and you sit politically, and you throw a global pandemic in on top of it, it's just it's so defeating sometimes to, yeah. to look at because it's hard enough as it is when things are okay right. <laughs> to right. be in the arts. So this has been a this has been a rough. Rough road, man. The last year, and it scares me. It like, should scare everybody. You should be wearing a fucking mask. Already canceling shit in 2021. <laughs> it's oh man. Did you read about the uh, Secret Service agents talking about Trump? Like being, they oh, were yeah. like, "This motherfucker doesn't give a fuck." And it's like, why? Yeah, it's insane. So. He does not care. Yeah, I, it's it's okay, it's. Okay, ask me a question, man. Dude. Okay, <laughs> hey, yeah, we've given him a little too much time. Okay, so so do you feel like with? Okay, so you do a lot of satire, man, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah. Do you feel like satire and and like comedy can help us culturally? Well, I tell you, I have, I think it's I I'm conflicted because I like Trevor Noah. Okay. But at a certain point, man, it ain't funny. Yeah. I got the feeling 
we crossed the point where when the president of the United States in the debate gives a shout out and a call to arms to a white supremacist organization. That's terrifying. There's not fun. To, it's, it, it's, it's hard to well, find. Right, Tom. Immediately, maybe there's some time that needs to lag between it, but yeah. I didn't think that shit was funny. Well, no, it was it was horrible. What I was getting at with comedy and satire is you deal with satire in your work and comedy, yeah. and I think of people because a lot of times you're looking at very complex social fucking shit and talking about yeah. it. Yeah. And so I think what I was trying to say was that. You know, if we look at other problems and have a little bit of satire with it in, in a way, uh, if there can't be more understanding to that. No, the debate and, and now the country's been ran has been fucking terrible, horrifying shit. Um, for sure. You know what, man? I think you, you can find humor in the worst stuff. Right. Um, and... In a way, in my work, that is kind of why in the last five, six years, I've gone more allegorical in the work. Right. I use more metaphor. I don't just, oh, this hillbilly is doing this terrible thing. <laughs> I don't narratively just spell it out. Right. I choose to get at it and sometimes I bring elements of surrealism in there I bring elements of uh, allegory and metaphor in there and it's a little more you know less literal okay in in my depictions that's kind of how I'm getting at it to where I want people to dig right a little more when they're looking at my work so that then it's going to make them want to reflect on it a little more because I do subscribe to the Hogarth way of, of, of depicting the shit show. I want to be a mirror to society and, and I want people that look at my work. I, I say this all the time. I like to walk the, I walk a fine line between the whimsical and the terrifying, okay? And I use the whimsy to terrify for more impact narratively, okay? So that when people look at my work, I want them to come away. I want to be a little bit like Bosch, where I draw them in, and then you're like, oh my God, and then they want to run away, but they want to come back in, you know? There is a little bit of an entertainment aspect that I use in my work, you know, by in in that I'm trying to make things that are horrible at first impression look beautiful. Right. In a way, because of the craft part. Right. Because the doer aspect of my work is the craft. The way that the pictures are made. The well, way yeah, how, the how do you how do you crosshatch in a woodcut, Tom? That's phenomenal. You know, just amazing. Well, it comes from being very patient, right. oh. <laughs> very patient, and willing to spend four years on a big print, on a big project. That because those big triptychs that I do, they're four year long projects, Jeez. and. 
I'm willing to go to work every day and not see an immediate return, you know? Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly what, what, what would help with, you know, teaching kids art well, from kindergarten yeah, on. I worry about the world and I don't like how fast it goes. And, and when I go to work in the studio every day and I sit there and I carve an inch by an inch area, it's my way of slowing this shit down. Right. And it's my way of taking control of the shitstorm that is this world, you know? It's my way of processing it and thinking about it and dwelling on it and meditating in a way. I mean, going in and working every day, inch by inch by inch by inch, you know, is my way of slowing the world down. It's the only place, it's, I've, I've said this many times, when I'm in front of one of my blocks, I'm drawing or I'm carving. It's the only part of my life that I have complete control over. Right. It's like creating your own reality. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty uh pretty awesome. So I notice like sometimes you do logos, right? I I've done a lot of stuff like. The commercial, you could call it what, like the uh, commercial stuff. Like, what, is there a difference in your commercial work or how you approach commercial work as uh, opposed to how you approach a large woodcut? Well, typically, like, okay, so uh, when I get asked to do an illustration, like I just did, right, uh, a cover illustration, the art director will call me and they'll say, we want something like this. Maybe... Halloween, what if, you know, they'll say, what about a Trump's head if it were a haunted <laughs> house? And then I go to town on it. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, but other times, so like I, with uh, like Motorhead stuff, so I would get the road manager for the band would ask me, would you do a tour backdrop for the German leg of the tour, and we want Snaggletooth, the war pig, with two, a German and an American flag. Okay? So I go to town, or British and a, a German flag, and I, I was like, okay, I do it. And then I have that guideline that I fill in the blanks on visually. Okay? okay. Very rarely, very rarely do commercial gigs not have some art direction involved in it. I, I don't think I've ever had uh, an art director come to me and say, do whatever the fuck you want. Here's <laughs> right. the deadline. Right. It doesn't work like that. Okay. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> that's the way that those things work. But now, like with a commission for a, a, a woodcut or something like that, have, do you ever have people come to you and say, do whatever you want? Uh, I don't ever do really, really commissions. I don't okay. do that. So okay. I, I, my, my, whole, my whole thing is making the work and then selling, convincing people to buy this crazy shit. Man. What I've already, that's what I do. Okay. And I have collectors. I have a certain amount of collectors that buy one of everything I do. And, you know, I have museums that buy my work. Uh, you know, so it's 
different museums all the time. And, and so it's collectors, museums, and I, I do affordables so that people that don't have a lot of money can get my stuff and have originals, and I do expensive stuff. Right, and, right. You know, I do it all. I have the full price range. Which I have $10 is, prints and I have $20,000. Right, which I was going to say is like the full way to have notoriety, you know, because you're making that accessible to everyone, not just people that are big collectors, which is which is uh, really nice. And, you know, that small stuff funds the day-to-day, man. Right, right, right. Because if I'm, if I'm spending on a four years working on a $25,000 print, you know, where's the money going to come from during that time? I mean, yeah, well, you may sell two or three for 20000 but by the time you sell those, you're already behind 80 grand. So <laughs> right. you got to have, you got to have, like, you know, different affordable things coming out. So I'm going to have this, uh, I'm going to do a Halloween 2020 commemorative poster that I'm going to sell for $19. Awesome. You know? So that, I'm always trying to come up with that kind of art too. That's affordable to everybody and, and that we can print for not a lot of money and things like that, you know? So it's a, it's a whole, it's an attitude and it's kind of a business strategy. Well, do you, do you ever find like, I, I don't know. Final yeah. When I, when I went to school, there was uh for, for oil painting, they talked a lot about high and low art. And I remember bringing comic books into the class, right. As my favorite artist. And that was highly fucking looked down on. And so it's like you're bridging well, these these areas, which I think is inspiring and amazing. Well, look, I don't. That is that attitude. Yeah, is a quaint, dated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art school does its best to drive that stuff out of people a lot of times, mm-hmm. and you know what they don't realize is they, you know, they're training people mostly to be teachers. Right. Okay. And, you know, that's really what they're doing. Or, see, I have, we, we're not going to get into this now because you will have me on the phone here until five o'clock in the morning. Okay. <laughs> right on. But I have a chip on my shoulder about art schools and academia. I do. I've had it. I've had a terrible experience teaching. I was treated like shit the entire time. The more attention I got for my work, the worse I was treated. And that's just the way it is. It was a lot of jealousy. And but when I was a student, they did their damnedest to tell me in many, many ways that it wasn't okay to want to draw representationally. It wasn't okay to like Thomas Hart Benton necessarily or or Marvel Comics books or, you know, Boris Vallejo and uh, heavy metal album covers. You know what? All that stuff influenced me. 
Yeah, that's the, some of the most amazing shit. Well, there's a second level. Most of the most of the shit that I've got about you know being see people think I'm a businessman too. That's the funny thing. People think that because whenever I go and I do visiting artist gigs at universities, they always have me talk to their professional practices seminar right. <laughs> seniors. Okay, because people think I've got this shit figured out, the business end of this. But at the same time, I have gotten more shit, mostly from academic types, about how I promote my work. Like, people think that it cheapens it to advertise. And, but I got news for them, man. They're they're not to me, man. They're not they're not paying attention. If you know who H.R. Geiger is, he was not oh, selling paintings. Well, he was selling posters of his know, paintings, and then fucking really Scott and them saw his shit. Yeah, a lot of art school professorial types still to this day look down on self promoting your own art. That's and nuts. I gotta tell you. The Whitney Museum of American Art is not going to just come knocking at your basement door. Right. Okay. Oh my God, you're a genius. <laughs> it gives you a retrospective. That's not the fucking way it works. Right. <laughs> and it, and it, the more shit I get about advertising and hyping my own work and getting it in people's faces in any way that I can, they, it shows a deep, deep lack of knowledge for the history of printmaking. Because, motherfucker, William Hogarth advertised his fucking prints in the newspaper when a new edition was going to be available. So they can suck my dick. I've got art historical precedent on my side. Right. Well, yeah, and it's it's like for a university to say that to somebody is them completely being locked into their own shit and not understanding things evolve. It's insane. I remember. Yeah, I, I remember saying, "Hey, look, the gallery is going to be the fucking internet." And they're like, "No, you'll never please replace human fucking interact." I'm like, "Well, we sure in the fuck have today, anyway." Thinking <laughs> that the gallery mo- model yeah. is the, is the only model is quaint. Right. It's a quaint idea that's very dated. The gallery is one bullet in a bullet belt of many bullets right. that you have. Right. And you know, I took especially early on in Evil Prince. I took the model of Kiss and combined it with the model of Dewar who marketed his prints all over Europe. I took those two things and combined them, man. Okay. To be up to date because I love Kiss. Cool. I've got some of the look of the evil prints, has some of the look of Kiss or stuff. And, you know, I, I thought also I got tons of shit for it, but oh, I had strippers that 
with my prints. Oh, wow. And it's to advertise workshops. Right. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but you're talking about in 1998, pre, really pre-internet still. Right. How in the hell was I going to convince someone to come to St. Louis to take a print workshop, I'm a total unknown, you know, mm -hmm. or, or also, you know, I'm going to sell a bunch of $10 prints of bugs. How the hell are you going to get, convince people to do that? And also too, see, there's the printmaking in, in general. We're our own worst enemy in a lot of cases because we already think we're the we're the the bane of the art world. The art world doesn't take us seriously. That's the whole deal. Well, I approached that on two different fronts of how to try and overcome some of that stuff. Number one, I do really big prints to compete compete with paintings, wall wise, wall size wise. The second thing is that I'm going to advertise it. I did. I Let's advertise. Use sex. <laughs> to make the kids realize how cool printmaking was anyway. Right. You know? Yeah. So I used strippers and did and kiss as a model to sell my shit to the masses. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I went about it early on. Now I don't really need to have strippers selling, you know. You, you know, you know that's that's not a whole lot different than like going to a comic con and them having hot chicks and cosplay selling comic books. I mean, it's seriously. Well, see, here's the basic. Yeah, you are right. And here's what what I did. and we get this confused. What, yeah. What I always thought. This is the most important part of talking about the marketing of the work. This is the most important thing. I never understood why it was okay for whatever, pick a band, whatever band you like. Mm. The new Radiohead album right. is coming out. There are posters. There are videos. There are stickers. There are t-shirts. There's hype about the new Radiohead record that's going to be coming out. And why is it okay for a band to do that, but not an artist to do that? I spent four years making a triptych. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't I be able to hype it? It should be a big deal when it comes out. Yeah. Just like a new Prince record that would come out. I, I think it's. If I it, never saw the difference. If, if, I no, difference. I don't think there is a difference. It, it seems like we hold like this idea of academia and art to this other notion, and it's like, well, hold yeah. on, you know, I like homeless people art too, and I would see that in a gallery yeah. as well. And so it's like, yeah. it's like, get the fuck over yourself and acknowledge yeah, these other art forms. Man. man, that leads me into yeah. one of one of my last questions with you is that, let me see here, do do you? Do you feel like anything somebody does create creatively could be considered art? 
Well, I mean, I don't know. If, <laughs> that's a big question. Right, right. Uh, okay. Is GTL an art? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. think so. But you know, there's a movie coming out about him. Gonna, you know, is it art? Is it not? I, I think. Okay, Eddie James is art. Okay. Jimi Hendrix is art. Right. Right. Philip Dustin is art. Right. Um, Daniel Johnston is art. Um, Banksy. Banksy. I don't like Banksy, but you know, if somebody thinks it's art, okay. Right. But if you think it's art, it's art. Okay. It's up to the the viewer and the audience whether it's art or not, and it'll be debated whether it's art or not for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the longer that certain things are debated, then it's probably art. <laughs> it's being debated about a hundred years from now. Right you on. know, Motorhead's art. Man. Right. It's art. Right. The Ramones were art. Right. Well, you dude, our, our crumb is art. Robert, our Stedman, or you know, Ralph Stedman. I mean, just a lot of the stuff that when they first were coming out, no one considered it high art. I think that's where the hope is for an artist that's creating different things. You know, is God, that Norman Rockwell's art, man? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. It's good yeah. art. Norman yeah. Rockwell's art, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's you know, if you hear about it, fifty, seventy, hundred years after it's made, it's probably art. <laughs> Right on. So right on, man. I think that's about all I have for you, except for one last thing. Um, I remember, and I have video of you from when I, whenever I came and visited you at that studio, you had just finished that Pat's Blue Ribbon logo, I think, and they didn't pay you, the so what? you had lot the Pat's Blue Ribbon logo. Oh, I, they paid me eventually. They well, I thought they beer. just gave you beer because you're handing us cases of Pat, Pat's Blue beer, Ribbon. But they paid another way I was getting like 30 cases of beer a yeah. month <laughs> yeah I remember that fucking years, uh, right on hell yeah so God. you said something to me that I thought was pretty cool man uh, and I wondered where you got it but you said peace love and guns and roses to me which I thought I, I use that quote to this day <laughs> I got that from my, my old college professor oh uh, man that's awesome used to say that and it was funny because if you could pick you could pick anybody to fill in the Guns N' Roses part, oh. you know, was of the day. So I think it was like, when Peter said that to me, it was like 1993 or something. So it was Guns N' Roses-ish era, you know? Right on. I, I heard like one of my favorite things uh, ever, it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, I saw a documentary about the Stooges and uh, they did a comeback tour, obviously, about now 10 years ago, I guess. And he was given a, a, a an interview, and they, the interviewer asked him, "So what? So what's the, what's the thing about the Stooges now? What's?" And he's like, "Ah, oh, well, up is down, down is up, and the Pope's not a good guy." <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. Right on. If you ask me about my work, I'm going to take it from Iggy. Up is down, down is up, and the Pope's not a good guy. <laughs> I think that's good advice. Yeah. That's <laughs> right? what it's about, man. Hell yeah, man. Right Coming on. up with the, with, the, with the profound shit, you know. 
Right on, man. Well, thanks for doing the interview with me, Tom. Okay, cool. And I'll put it out there, man. Just okay, I appreciate it. And that is our interview with Tom Huck. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And the audio was not too much of a problem. But, you know, our emphasis on on it being raw, so sometimes the message is far more important than the quality.